seated. I'd like for you to turn in your copy of God's word to Genesis chapter number two. Genesis chapter number two. We are currently as a church working through a series through the first 11 chapters of Genesis that I've titled Origins. And if we know where life came from, if we know how the story begins, it gives us an idea of how God wants the story to end. And so I pray as we work through these messages, specifically today's message, that God will help us to get a picture of where the story ends as well as where it began. And so we're going to find our place in Genesis chapter number 2. And I want us to read the first three verses of chapter two. And actually, let's just go back just a verse to Genesis 1, verse 31. You can follow along in your paper Bible or maybe a digital Bible if you have one. And I want us to see how God ends this account of the seven days of creation. Genesis 1, verse 31 begins this way. And God saw everything that he had made And behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Chapter two. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day. And sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. This is the word of the Lord. This may seem like a strange statement to you, but if you like a good, old-fashioned Sunday nap, I think you might like the story of the Bible more than you'd imagine. If you look forward every night to the times that you can lay your head on your pillow at night, somebody say amen to that. All right, wow. Let me high and dry. Come on, brothers and sisters. If you look forward to that, you're going to enjoy Genesis 2 and the story of Scripture more than you think. Maybe you've never noticed it before, but the very story of the Bible revolves around the theme of rest. It starts here in Genesis chapter two, and it culminates in the Bible's final book, the book of Revelation. Now, more than a cool fact, you might want to ask yourself, pastor, what does that matter to me? Why do I care that rest is a dominant theme in the Bible? Because maybe this morning you find yourself constantly stressed out, anxious, or worrisome. If that's you, you might want to listen to Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. If you find yourself overworked because you're not quite sure how you're going to get everything done, then you probably need to hear God's words about rest. If you find yourself worrying that what you do is never good enough, whether in the physical realm or the spiritual realm, friend, you need to listen 
to God's words this morning. What's interesting to me is that the theme of rest in the Bible begins in the very place it shouldn't. Now, why do I say that? Because as you're reading Genesis 1 in chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, you know, an ancient reader of Scripture wouldn't have been surprised that a God of some sort made the world. They all had their theories that all eventually said that the creation of the world belonged to, uh, the credit belonged to a deity of some sort. Some of them said it took multiple gods to do that. Of course, our Bible says it was one God who did all of that. By the way, nobody for thousands of years of human history just thought it all just magically appeared somehow. So no one would have been surprised when God says, I made the heavens and the earth. Not that surprising. Even last week when we covered that God made man in his image, which we talked about conveys that man was given a sense of kingly authority, that he was supposed to rule over creation underneath God's authority, that wouldn't have been as surprising either. Uh, All ancient cultures saw that their relationship to their God was one that they would serve him and maybe uh, carry out his wishes in the world. That wasn't that surprising. Now, it was surprising that God made everyone in his image because in a lot of ancient cultures, they said that God only made the king or the pharaoh in his image. But I think the last thing you'd expect to hear in Genesis 1 and 2 is a statement about the almighty God who can create all the heavens and the earth by his power resting. After all, if he's really God, he shouldn't need a break, right? So why on earth is God saying he took a break? He rested. In our passage this morning, I think it breaks down into two parts. There's a celebration of God's rest. A celebration of God's rest in verses one and two. And then in verse number three, where we'll spend a lot of our time, is an invitation to God's rest. An invitation. God celebrates and God invites us to rest with him. I want you to see that in verses, uh, chapter one, verse 31, verse through chapter two, verse two, that what is happening here is that God's rest was celebrating his finished work of creation. Now, time out. Before we get into verses, I want you to understand God's not saying he was tired. Are we all on the same page about that? God isn't tired, y'all. He's not stressed out, worn out, like you and I feel after a long days of work. That's not what God is saying. It's very clear that in these verses, God is, is, it's like he's stepping back and he's looking at all of his creation. And I think the, the note in this account is God is looking at all that he's made in these six days and he's in, in his mind saying, it's finished. It is finished. I, I, I've done what I've set out to do. Look at chapter two, verse number one. It says, or actually look at chapter one, verse one. And notice that there's kind of a correspondence. So look at the very first verse in your Bible, Genesis 1.1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now look at chapter two, verse one. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them, right? So here's God saying, the very thing I set out to do, I've completed it, I'm done. Now we recognize God didn't just step back from his creation, right? God is still involved. God is still sustaining. God is still 
uh, helping and ministering and God is involved intimately with creation. But in some sense, God stepped back and said, I've done what I set out to do. He finished it. Now, what's weird about this passage, if you're, if you're the first people reading this, is that no ancient culture said that God's rested. I mean, you, as an ancient Israelite, you'd be like, well, that's a little strange. They didn't teach us this in, in Egyptian elementary school. Normally, what happened when God's made the earth, the, the Egyptians and other cultures would say that immediately they made man, and they said, now get to work. And it should be no surprise to us that if the gods were pictured as these slave masters, it probably shouldn't be a surprise to us that the Egyptians live that way. But here God is not doing that. In fact, I want you to think about this, that the very first full day of Adam and Eve's existence was not spent working. It was spent resting with their God. So God is stepping back and he's celebrating his creation. He's looking at it and he's saying, it is done. It is finished. I have, I have done what I set out to do. I said I would create the heavens and the earth and now it is finished. That's the celebration. But it's also an invitation because verse number three shows us that God's rest is an invitation for you and I to join him with our own rest. See, Moses isn't just saying God rested the end. He's saying, no, because God rested, he wants you to rest as well. Look at verse number three. There's two very key terms here. Starts out in verse number three, that God, look at verse three, he blessed the seventh day. Now that's a little bit odd too, right? Because God doesn't bless days, he blesses living creatures, in fact, all throughout the book of Genesis, this blessing idea is conveyed to people. In the fourth day of creation, it was conveyed to animals. He blessed them so that they could multiply and fill the earth. Why is God blessing a space on the calendar? The idea there is that God is giving to this seventh day, this rest day, some sort of supernatural blessing and power. Meaning that rest is not just ceasing from our work. There is something miraculous going on there. There's something God is giving to rest that rest can't do in itself. He touched it and changed it in a way and that, that rest carries with it the same miraculous power that we all recognize we need for us to have children, right? God has to make that happen. And in a sense, God is saying, true rest can only happen because of me. Not just if you honor a calendar sequence. And then there's a second key term in verse number three. Look down, it says, God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. That word sanctify literally is the verb form of holy. It's the first time holy shows up in the Bible. Literally, sanctify means to holify, to make holy. So God blesses the seventh day and he makes it holy. Now, what is God trying to communicate there? You know, a lot of times when we think about holiness and sanctification, it's in regards to commands from God to tell us what not to do, right? Being holy is making sure we don't do the bad stuff. But in chapter two, verse three, God is sanctifying, he's 
saying that holiness isn't just what we don't do, holiness is what we do. And in a, in a way, these two terms convey to us that God by his own rest, he was setting a pattern, inviting all of creation to rest with him. He's inviting all of creation to enjoy this rest that, that is really an expression of God's blessing and supernatural power and as a way that all of creation can live in his image and in his likeness and reflect his holiness. They do so by their rest. Now, man, that sounds like a good deal to me, doesn't it? What a privilege. Being an ancient Israelite, reading this, like, wow, you know, our Egyptian masters, they didn't give us any days off. In fact, they added to our work and gave unreasonable demands, but our God gives us rest? Wow, you, you know, I mean, I don't know about you, but if I were in their shoes, I would make sure that I took that day off every single time God gave it. Don't you think that's what they did? God gave me rest, I'm gonna take that day off. Well, guess what? You're wrong. They didn't take the rest. Because the whole story of the Bible, strangely, is God inviting people to rest and them turning him down. Read your Old Testament over and over again. Oh, Israel's all about their dietary laws, but they just cannot keep that Sabbath thing. The whole story of the Bible is God inviting people to join him in this physical rest, but every single time they reject his invitation. Now you understand this, that the book of Genesis was given right alongside the other books of the Torah, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's a package deal, right? It's not like um, Moses is like J.K. Rowling that puts out one book and then a second book and then a third book. No, package deal. Here you go. Here's your history. Here's your laws. This is what we're up to as God's people. And so what's funny is that you read Genesis 2 about the seventh day, and then for a book and a half of the Bible, it just doesn't show up again until you get to Exodus 15. Exodus 15, Israel has just escaped Egypt. They got over the river, or the Red Sea, I mean. They've been delivered. They've been saved. They've been set free. They're going to meet with their God at Mount Sinai and worship him. I mean, God's been up to a lot to get them to this point. And, and they start complaining about food. God, where's our food at? You brought us out here to die. You know, and, and, and you have to chuckle as you read the story of scripture as they're like, oh, life was so much better in Egypt. Yeah, you know, where you were beaten and uh, you had terrible taskmasters and they probably starved you to bring a death and oh yeah, they killed your sons. Yeah, life was really so much better, wasn't it? So God says, obviously I'm taking care of you. And God, remember, he gives them quail in the evening and manna in the morning. And there's very interesting rules attached to this manna. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and I want you to get that manna every single morning. Day one, get it. Day two, get it three, four, five, but on day six, I want you to get twice as much. Because if you go out on day seven, that's a no-no. You know what's funny? It's not like God said, I'm gonna give you the same amount of food on day six as day four, 
and you just need to be hungry on day seven. No, God says, I'm going to take care of you so that you can rest. But what do they do? Day seven happens and they think, oh no, we're going to starve. So they go out and they reject God's rest and God curses them and judges them for doing such a thing. Then you fast forward to Exodus 20 and God memorializes this very same command and he gives them the Sabbath command, the fourth command, right? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it. Oh, interesting, the same language as chapter two, verse three, he sanctified it, he made it holy. But as you read the rest of the law in Genesis and Leviticus numbers, you find out that the Sabbath wasn't just a one day a week thing, there were other Sabbaths. There was a Sabbath year on the seventh year Israel was supposed to release all the people who were in debt slavery, different type of slavery than you and I remember in American history. If, if you couldn't pay your debts, you would work them off. It was actually a pretty good deal, better than someone throwing you in jail or killing you. You would work for them. But God made the stipulation, no matter what, no matter how much debt they had, the max they could work for you was six years because on the seventh year, you had to free all of your slaves. Well, Jeremiah is pretty clear. In fact, God called him out specifically, you're not freeing your slaves. And they said, no, we don't want to. We don't want your rest, God. Then there was another Sabbath. There was the year of Jubilee. Now, now some of you who are in agriculture, you'll understand how hard this was. But every 49 years, seven sevens, God said all the farmers couldn't farm for a year. at all. Now, some of you are like, a year off of work? What? Why hasn't America caught on to that? But you understand how hard that would be, right? Because not only you would have to work and save up, but you would, some of y'all know, you would be sitting there about, you know, two weeks into the year Jubilee, like, oh, I'm going to die. I'm going to starve. I'm going to go broke. You know what happened? There is no record, not a single time, in Israel's entire history, did they observe the year of Jubilee? God blesses rest and he invites them to join him in it. And they turn him down. Friend, you, you and I might look at that and think that's just absolutely crazy. If my boss gives me a day off, I'm going to take it every single time. But friend, we're not much better than those grumbling Israelites looking for manna on the seventh day because God has extended and offered us to join him in this physical rest and so often we turn him down. If God sets apart and blesses the seventh day, Christian, don't you think it would just be smart of us to embrace it? Now, I don't think that the Sabbath command is a binding command for Christians. I think the Sabbath is fulfilled in Jesus. We'll get to that in a second. But just pause, stop, and think. This was a rhythm of rest that God instituted at man's creation. This is a rhythm of rest. If we understand the laws of the Old Testament, all the stuff God said for his people was not just arbitrary commands to make them look different. It was commands that said, hey, this is good for you. There's a reason certain foods were not supposed to be eaten by the Israelites. It's not just so they could be holy. It's so that they wouldn't get diseases because they didn't have the tools to properly cook and treat that meat. 
And the same thing is truth rest. Whether or not you think the Sabbath is a binding command for Christians, the reason God rests on the seventh day is so that he could show you and me that we need that same rest. We need it. To reject God's rest, to reject the rhythm of taking a day off of work and resting and worshiping to our God, to reject that is to our own harm. Think about it this way. When somebody says, I don't need a rhythm of rest, they're saying, God, I don't trust you to bless my rest more than my work. Our working, when God says we should be resting, is a statement that we've forgotten who provides for us in the first place. You wanna know why God wanted Israel to take a whole year off farming? for them to figure out that they weren't eating because they were good farmers. They were eating because God in heaven was providing for them. And friend, I think some of us, we, boy, in a workaholic society like American culture, they glorify these CEOs who work 100 hours a week. Friend, that, there's no place in scripture to glorify that type of lifestyle. It's a rejection of God's rhythms. God made you to need his rest. And yet so often we reject his rest in so many different ways. Now you may not work seven days a week because frankly most of us don't work for companies that even operate seven days a week. Praise God for that. But you know what? Just the same, there's so many Christians that on their day off, maybe because they have a leadership position, there's a lot of pressure on them. They're supposed to be resting, but they're planning, they're scheming, they're getting ready for work. There's no break. Their mind is at work even though their body's at home. Or I think a lot of us, our recreation becomes work. Yeah, we got, we got this Saturday, right? And Saturday has turned into like, I gotta run over here and do this activity. And I gotta run over here and do this activity. And I gotta run over here and shop. I was at Walmart last night, it was really busy. And I gotta run over here and go to this kid's sports game. And I gotta run over here and do this house chore. Friend, that's not rest. That's not rest. Some of us recreate ourselves to death. Now you might say, Pastor Mike, you gotta understand that with my job or, or my role, it's, it's not possible for me to take a day off. Now, I understand that, but let me just push back. Okay, I know uh, particularly, you know, the hardest working people on the planet are farmers. Somebody say amen to that, right? I mean, those guys put it in. But I want you to think about this. And again, I don't think this is a binding command that if you walk out on the seventh day and you, you mess with the sprinkler system, God's gonna throw lightning down from heaven and strike you dead. I don't think that. I'm just saying, for thousands of years of ancient Israelite history, they figured out how to take a day off from farming without all the cool stuff we have today. I think if they can do that, none of you have an excuse and I don't have an excuse to regularly rest. Stuff comes up, but what I'm encouraging you to do is don't, don't forsake the rhythm of God's rest. And some of you, you may, not, you may rest physically, but you can't rest up here. You're worried and stressed and you're, you're, you're scheming and you're planning. That's not rest. 
That's stress. I don't think that's what God was doing on his seventh day, do you? Oh no, I sure hope Adam and Eve don't sin. Oh, you rest. Completed work. Maybe you're a parent. My wife, she stays at home full-time with our kids. I think one of the most full-time jobs ever is being a stay-at-home parent or being a parent on top of a job. I mean, you, you come home from work and you've got more work, right? Parents, I think even you should think about how you can maintain a rhythm of rest. In fact, in ancient Israel, there were household laws. There was a lot of stuff you couldn't do. You couldn't even start a fire on the seventh day. Now, I'm not saying that's what God thinks Christians should do, but I think the idea there is, is if, that, if we're creative enough, if we cook twice as much on the sixth day, so you know, the person who cooks doesn't have to cook on the seventh day, or if we tell our kids, you know what, Johnny, you can have one hobby that I'll drive you to, not three. All of us can embrace God's rhythm of rest. Friend, all I'm saying is this. If God blessed the seventh day, we would be foolish to reject it. We'd be foolish to reject it. But God doesn't just invite his people to physical rest from their work. The story of scripture shows us that God invites his people to enjoy rest from their enemies. And yet still they would reject that rest and allow God's enemies to invade his territory. So rest in the scripture, it's not just symbolizing the finished work of God, it's symbolizing the conquered enemies of God. Because later on in the Bible, uh, Moses and Joshua start calling the land of Israel the land of rest. Now why would they do that? Well, you see this in Joshua chapter one. It should be on the screen. Joshua 1.13, he calls it a land of rest. The Lord your God hath given you rest and hath given you this land. Why would God call it a land of rest? Because God was bringing them to a place where he was going to set up everything for them before they arrived. They would have houses and vineyards they didn't even set up. They wouldn't have enemies. They wouldn't have somebody ruling over them like Egypt did. In the book of Joshua, much to our surprise, if we know the rest of the scripture, the book of Joshua actually celebrates that Israel achieved that rest. They conquered all that God wanted them to conquer and they received the rest of God. Look at the next verse here in Joshua 11, verse 23. It says, so Joshua took the whole land the whole land, according to all that the Lord had said unto Moses. And Joshua gave it for an inheritance unto Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. And the land, what's the next word? Rested from war. But if you read the Bible, that didn't last long, did it? God says, I'm gonna give you a land of rest. And here's why it's rest, because you have no foreign enemies messing around with your stuff. And Israel goes on and says, you know what? We don't need to drive them out of the land. By the way, my daughter really likes that, that guy's son. He's pretty cute. And so, and, and you know, he offered me part of his land. When he dies, he'll pass it on to his son, which means it'll be part of my family. So maybe they should just get married. And here's what you see over, over the course of generations. God had given them rest. He had delivered them from their enemies. And yet Israel is inviting God's enemies back into the land of their rest. 
And Christian, I think the same is true for us. God has given us a rest from our enemies. He's delivered us from sin and from death and from Satan. And so many of us, we wanna hook up with what God has delivered us from. We wanna dabble with it when God has conquered it and driven it out through the death and the resurrection of his son. So here's the story of scripture. God offers rest. God's people say no. God offers rest again. God's people say no. And here's this rest. It's a symbol of God's finished work and God's conquered enemies. And what we see in the New Testament is that God offers to us a far greater rest. A spiritual and eternal rest that Jesus invites us to enjoy. A rest that also includes God's finished work and his conquered enemies. Notice Jesus' invitation in Matthew 11 verses 28 through 30, which by the way, were given in the context, the stories were about obeying the Sabbath commands and Jesus says this, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden. You feel like that this morning? Weighed down. He says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and ye shall find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is offering us something far more profound than a day off. He's showing us that what God was trying to say all throughout the Old Testament is far bigger than our calendar or our land. God is giving us an eternal rest. And Jesus says, I am here to give it to you because I have finished God's work and I have conquered God's enemies and I'm extending that rest to you and you don't find that rest through your efforts. You find that rest through me and what I've done and you take my yoke upon you and you can receive the eternal rest that God gives through me. How do we find true rest? How do we achieve this rest that God had instituted all the way back on the seventh day of creation? Here's the truth of this passage. True rest comes by trusting Christ. That's the only way, friend, to truly find rest. Because as you've experienced resting from your work, it's never enough, is it? You always need a vacation from your vacation. How many of you found yourself saying that? I need a day off because on my day off, I was doing all the stuff I couldn't get done in my work week and now I still need a day off. The rest that Christ offers is a rest that is purchased by a finished work. You know what Jesus is saying? Stop trying to earn your way into God's favor. You can't do it. You, yeah, you could obey the Sabbath and you could do this and you can do that, but you will never enter into eternal rest without my finished work, Jesus says. 
because I've done all the Father's commanded and you cannot. And so you must enter that rest through me. Jesus saying this, I did all of the work for you. Much like God looked at his world on the seventh day and says, it is finished. Isn't that similar? Doesn't that remind us of something Jesus said? as he's hanging there on a cross, purchasing salvation for the souls of men. And what does he utter before he gives his last breath? It is finished. Friend, stop trying to restart the project Jesus already finished. Your attendance to church this morning doesn't score you a single brownie point with God. What you wear, what you say, doesn't get you uh, in cahoots with God. The only thing that gets you in with God and into his sanctuary experiencing his rest is the perfect obedience of his son, Jesus Christ, by repenting of your sins and trusting in his finished work. Oh yes, we must. We must live in victory over our sin because Christ's rest is also an expression of God's conquered enemies. We don't invite them back into our life. But we only find victory over our sin through Christ himself. When you trust Christ, you'll find rest for your soul. But when you trust Christ, you can also find rest from your stress. You know, it's a tragedy that some of the least restful people I know are Christians. <clears throat> Jesus says, here's what you need to do. The only way for you to not go to hell is by trusting in me. And all of us Christians are like, sign me up. But then when it comes to Jesus saying, hey, listen, I know things are tight in your bank account, but just trust me. And you know what a lot of Christians do? You know what? I'm going to figure that one out on my own, God. Let, I know you're offering me rest, but let me just take that yoke back, okay? And let me sit down and let me figure this out and let me stress about it. And you ask, well, why are you stressing? Is it making you more money? No, but it makes me feel better, like I'm doing something about it, right? And we take the stress that Jesus died to release us from, and we bring it back, and we rest it on our shoulders again. Boy, Pastor Mike, I got this situation I'm dealing with, and I got to really figure it out, and, and I just can't sleep at night, and I'm, I, I can't figure this out, and I've, I'm talking to this person, talking to this person. I don't know what's going to happen. That person might stab me in the back, or that person might stab me in the back. Friend, 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 friend. Don't you think when Jesus said, I'm gonna give you rest, that he meant rest from all of it? He meant peace in all of it? That his finished work, his, his completed work is not just having to do with your salvation. Jesus takes care of everything you need. He's just like that father guiding the children of Israel through the wilderness, dropping down manna from heaven taking care of the problems they thought God didn't know about. Oh, friend, Christ has done all of it. Rest by trusting in him. Trust in him. 
Trust that he's got it taken care of. Trust that that situation you're going through, he's gonna get you through it and he's going to conquer in the way he's decided he's going to conquer. True rest comes by trusting Christ. In much the same way that God did on this seventh day, Christ has accomplished what he set out to do through the new creation. And he looks back on his finished work and he says, it is finished. And Jesus promises you blessing if you will enter into his rest. And here's the choice this morning. This is it. This is the only choice you got. Are you gonna trust Jesus or not? You going to take his yoke or take back your old yoke? You gonna let it sit in the hands of Jesus or are you gonna try and handle it yourself? You know what we all can do this morning? If we are believers in Christ that have taken his yoke upon us, friend, I know this world still comes with its stresses and its stripes, but there will come a day we will enter into the land of our rest. And we will just simply enjoy and worship and work in the presence of our God. That's the rest God has given us. But you need God's help to experience that here and now. You need his help to trust him and to give it over to him. And I have a feeling there's somebody in here or maybe some somebodies who need to give back some loads that they've been carrying. They need to make a transfer from their account to Christ's and just give it back. So that's why for just a moment, I wanna spend some time praying and responding to the rest Christ offers us. Every head bowed and every eye closed. What I want you to do this morning is just spend some time